Hey everybody, it's your old pal Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen how Auto-Tune works. Came out in August of 2015, and it's one of my under-the-radar favorites, because it looks at something that's worked its way into every crevice of popular culture, but that none of us really has any idea about how it works or where it came from. And this episode is a special listener mail roundtable with us and Holly and Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class, all about sexism. It's super interesting and really kind of out of left field after the auto-tune episode. So it's a nice combination, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Yep. There's Jerry. Yep. And this is Stuff You Should Know. That was great. Thanks, man. Do I sound like Cher? You sound like T-Pain, T-Josh, T-Josh. Or Snoop Dogg. Does he do auto-tune? He factors into this big time later on. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I don't even know about that. So, I'm... Oh, I've got something up my sleeve. <laughs> this is kind of fun. I don't know how much we're going to do that because people are probably like, stop it right now. Oh, Chuck, I think <laughs> we should do it a lot. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, we could have just auto-tuned this whole thing. Yeah. You know? Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Maybe from this moment forward, we should just auto-tune the rest of the episode. Yeah. Starting now. Let's sabotage our <laughs> careers. <laughs> uh, you got an intro for this? A fancy intro? Uh, I think we just did it, buddy. Oh, uh, okay. Well, let's get in the Wayback Machine then, my friend. Okay. We don't have to go back that far because I know where we're going. It's going to be a short trip. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to, oh, summer of 1998. Boom. <laughs> Uh, I'm you and I are in the club. We're hanging out. We're drinking uh, rum and coke. You can find us in the club, and uh, we're we're dancing. We're getting down and grooving to uh, to Cher's latest jam. Believe, believe. It's a hot jam, a hot, hot, hot jam that's released in the summer. It's summertime, as you can tell, because sure. it's hot in the club. Chuck. Yeah, and I've got on my uh, my my short pants. I'm dressed like I'm out for a night at the Roxbury. That's right. I'm wearing a see-through mesh. Sure. So, I, I noticed, actually. How could you not? Well, yeah, the third nipple really stands out. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're in the club, we're jamming, and Cher's song is on, and uh, something happens at about 35 seconds into the song, and you and I are just like, whoa, daddy, did you just hear that? It changed everything. It changed the whole tone of the club. Like, the club was like, okay, and then, now it's banging, Yeah, off happening. the hook. Yeah. <laughs> because of... A little something called auto-tune. Uh, what sounded like a, a little electronic glitch was very purposeful. And it was the first time uh, that auto-tune had been used in this way. So what, Josh, is auto-tune? <laughs> oh, that was quite a setup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we do the rest of the episode in the club? Yeah, why not? Okay. Just keep those rum and cokes coming. Can we, okay, that's cool. Um, so, Chuck, the, let me let me stop you for a second, right? Okay. Because the way you described it, you made it sound like everybody was like, oh, Cher just used auto-tune. No, no. No. Everybody said, 
what was that? Yeah. That was awesome. Uh-huh. Although some people were like, what was that? Don't ever do that again. Sure. But most people were like, wow, Cher just released her biggest hit of her entire career. And it was a pretty long career. Yeah. She just came back. Like, that just established her comeback was this track. Yep. And it actually became one of the greatest, best-selling singles of all time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it would have been a, a probably a big song anyway, but I think most definitely auto-tune kicked it into the stratosphere. It gave it just that extra something. It did, something. man. It became part of the, the, the talk. Everyone was talking about it. So everybody went to her producer and said, dude, how did you do that? We want to know how to do that. And he was like, vocoder. Yeah, he lied. He lied. <laughs> he lied big time. He lied in person to other producers. He lied in interviews. He lied, lied, lied about how he made that track because he wanted to keep it to himself. Yep. Because it was so huge, and it became so huge, Chuck, that at first, Autotune was called the share effect. Yeah. Even the company that produced Autotune and Terry's, which we'll talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. called it in their instructional book, the share effect. They probably still do, don't they? They, they don't mention it any longer. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but the, the, so it was, a, it was a huge deal, and this guy lied and kept it under wraps, and for many years, it was... Very mysterious. Yeah, let's actually, if you live under a rock, let's go ahead and play that clip of the very first uh, 35 seconds into that song where Cher says, I can't break through. You keep pushing me aside and I can't break through. There's no talking to you. Yeah, right there. Boom. Right there. Music changed from that point forward. Okay, so. For the um, worse. (laughs) What what this guy, what her producer was saying uh, was vocoder. Vocoder is something that's been around for a very long time. If you've ever listened to any Pete Frampton, Peter Frampton, and he sings, uh, Do You Feel Like We Do? Yeah. That whole long guitar solo or whatever. He's breathing into a tube connected to his guitar, which is electrifying his voice. Vocoder had been around for a very long time. Yeah. But there's different ways of doing it. That that was definitely the, the, the tube effect through the guitar, but you can also... Just use it to, you know, make your voice robotic like Beck. Sure. Uh, two turntables and a microphone. Right. Or Mr. Roboto with sticks. Yeah. Uh, but all different ways to use it. This thing, this sounded different. The share effect, it was a little oh, different. Yeah. Sure. And I wonder how this guy talked his way out of, like... The, the lie? Yeah. I mean, like, if, if, if a producer was like, okay, well, show me how you did it on vocoder. If he was like uh, over here and then just like ran out of the room, I don't. I don't think he talked his way out of it. I think he was just another lying music producer. Oh, okay, and he was just like, oh, okay, well, busted. Okay, so um, a- apparently along the way, people figured out here there what this guy did in 1998 with Believe, and they started using it themselves, but very very sparsely. All right, so Josh, what is AutoTune? <laughs> All right, I'll answer your question. Because I'm going to keep asking it. All right. So Autotune is a plugin originally released in 1997 for the audio editing software Pro Tools. Yeah, it's a software uh, piece that allows you, and the original um, intent and how it's still mostly used is to pitch correct um, a singer's voice. Right. So uh, when you when you or I go into the studio to record those albums that we'll never release, but we just record for fun, mm-hmm. um, we hit flat notes here or there. Oh, not me. I have perfect pitch. 
I hit flat notes here or there. <laughs> I don't have perfect pitch. Um, and everybody does. It's a normal thing. Sure. For most of eternity, um, music producers would say, Blue Eyes, Chairman, I need another take. That was a great take, but you had a couple of flat notes. Give me another take just like that one. And Frank would uh, finish his scotch, put out a cigarette, and say, you get one more. Shinehead. <laughs> What was the joke? Oh, you didn't even see Spinal Tap, did you? Yeah. You finally saw it? Finally. Oh, okay. But I don't remember any Frank Sinatra jokes. Yeah, there was uh, when Bruno Kirby is the limo driver. He he's talks about uh, Sammy Davis's uh, book, Yes, I Can. Uh-huh. And he says what they should have called it is, Yes, I Can, as long as Frank says it's okay. Because Frank called the shots for all those guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, so Frank would sing one more take. And this could be like take 12 or 15 or 20. Oh, yeah. Depending on like how how much how much the person was feeling it, the singer was feeling it at the time and would be happy to hang around the studio. Yeah. Whatever was keeping the singer there at the studio, as long as that was around, the singer, <laughs> the singer was happy to give it one more try, one more try, right? Like, like drugs? Maybe. Okay. Um, or if they had like a really good candy bowl. Sure. Who knows? I got to stay for the Skittles. Um, so the editor then, or the music producer, would then take all of these different tracks and would go through, and I can't imagine how awful this would be, <clears throat> take the best part of this track mm-hmm. and edit it together with the best part of that track. Yeah. And, like, we're talking, like, pre-digital era, so, like, they're splicing together tape. Sure. From what I understand. Yep. Right? To get the, the best possible complete take. Right. Pieced together from many different comedy. takes. Yeah. Right. So, okay, that's, that's what they did. All of a sudden, in 1997, there's this new software that just runs through a take and says, oh, well, I see what note or what key the singer's singing in, but this, this particular note's just a little out. So I'm going to nudge it sure. into the key that the singer was going for. And now all of a sudden, one take is all it takes. Yeah, I mean, what it did was it cut down on studio time, which is super expensive. Yeah, which is very appealing because now you could churn out uh, songs at a, a more rapid rate and a cheaper rate. And uh, it, it was a it was a little sort of a secret tool that they didn't intend to like get out to the public. <clears throat> I don't think they wanted everyone to know this stuff. N- no, it was meant for professionals. Yeah, and basically, it was just a it was. The, the musical audio equivalent of cosmetics. Yeah, Doctor. Uh, it was invented by Doctor Harold uh, Andy Hildebrand, and mm-hmm. he uh, likened it to makeup, and the New Yorker likened it to um, like getting rid of a red eye in a photograph. Exactly. It was just you use it just enough so that you can't tell it's there, but it makes for a, a more pleasant um, overall composition, right? What Cher had done, or what Cher's producers had done, yeah. is take this thing and used it to the nth degree. Yeah, supposedly it was just a joke, and Cher was like, I love that. But that's like, I don't know if that's an urban legend or if that's fact. Well, from what I read that her producer, she was she wanted like, um, she had heard like some uh, telephone effect that she was interested in using. Like she wanted something. Oh, uh, okay. And I guess the producer had stumbled upon that. And um, played it for her, mm-hmm. but was like, you're not going to like this, but w- listen to this weirdness. And she was like, "That I want that. Nice. That's what I read. Well, if, I think it's, the, if it's due verge, to her giving it the green light, then that was truly like uh, foresight, and, like a <clears throat> masterful move by Cher. Right. You know? Well, Cher yeah. has a lot of foresight. You know what they say, don't 
don't doubt Cher, and Cher has a lot of foresight. Never bet against Cher. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when she did make that decision, it changed, like you said, it changed everything. And we'll, we'll, I, I, we can't talk enough about this, but we're going to take a break and then come back and talk more about it. Right after this. You, you, you know. Stop, stop, stop. You should know. know. Stop. All right, Josh. Uh, what I found most interesting about this while researching was, um, was what Andy Hildebrand did before he did this. He was a musician. He was a, played flute professionally since he was a young teenager. Uh, even went to University of Illinois, go Ill- fighting Illini. Yeah, uh, on a music scholarship. Yet he chose to work for Exxon Mobil for seventeen years, looking for oil. Yeah, he, crazy. Well, the the two weren't too terribly far apart, right? Well, as we will find out. So he's a professional flautist. Classically trained flautist, a good one from what I understand. Flout in his flute. Yes. Um, And he went to college to get an electrical engineering degree, I think. And basically when he went to work for the oil companies, it was in oil exploration. Yeah. And he figured out a programmer. He designed a software um, that when you set off an explosive charge underground, Mm -hmm. it measured the pitch of stuff of the sound waves that that were created, right? That's right. So as they travel through rock, different types of rock adjust the pitch, basically. And this software, like, analyzed the pitch that was coming through and could create a subsurface map of the rock below. And oil companies have long known that this type of rock is associated with oil and this type of rock is not. Maybe you'll find natural gas in this type of rock. So with this guy creating an audio-visual map of the subsurface area, oil companies no longer had to just drill and drill and hope that they found um, oil. He would say, this is a pretty pretty great place to drill because this kind of rock is there. That's right. It's called autocorrelation, and it saved Exxon a lot of money, and he somehow made a lot of money. I thought it was going to be one of those things where, like, Exxon was just like, thanks, you work for us. (laughs) Yoink. Here's your $45,000 a year. But apparently he um, earned enough money to retire by the age of 40 uh, thanks to this uh, innovation. And um, in the early 1990s, he got out of the oil business and founded – It's like it's just a popularity contest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he founded uh, Antares Audio Technologies in uh, kind of near Silicon Valley in Scotts Valley, California. And I think still they only have about 10 employees. I think it's a pretty small operation. It's all centered around him and his ideas and inventions. Yeah, he is the main inventor. Um, one of the first things he invented was uh, something called Infinity, which is a program that uh, where you could loop samples um, over and over and over, uh, like seamlessly. Apparently, that was a necessary thing. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Think about it. We're talking like early 90s. That was like the 808 Acid House Revolution. Yeah, but I just didn't realize. I guess he made it easier probably is my guess. Yes, I think he enabled it. He enabled techno is the impression I have. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Looping samples together seamlessly? Well, but you could already do that. What I'm saying is is he clearly found a way to do it better and more efficiently. Right. He didn't invent looping. No, you know? he, he made it better. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
another thing he did was invented uh, the microphone modeler. Uh, modeling is a big thing in music. You can get um, guitar amplifiers that model. Uh, basically means imitate mm-hmm. other amps. Right. I have a modeling amp, which I don't use anymore because it's uh, not very good. But it models. There's like 12 different classic amps it models, supposedly. Oh, nice. Uh, but he invented the modeling uh, microphone, which means you could mimic uh, like classic microphones or like a harmonica mic and vintage mics, like the Elvis Presley, that cool-looking mic. I'm sure that was on there. Oh, uh is that the silver kind of rounded yeah. rectangular one? Noel's got one on his desk, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's associated with Elvis Presley? Well, I mean, just the music of that time. I gotcha. But I always picture Elvis. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? I can see that, yeah. Have you ever seen his grandson, by the way? Quick Sidebar? No. His Le- name is Quick Sidebar? <laughs> yeah, Quick Sidebar Presley. <laughs> it's a weird name. Yeah. But, you know, Lisa Marie was his mom, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. That was very funny, by the way. <laughs> he, uh, he just look him up. Uh, I think uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. His last name is uh, the father's name for Lisa Marie's first husband is who she had him with. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just look at uh, Elvis Presley's grandson. It is creepy, dude. Looks exactly like Elvis at that age. Huh? Like scary, scary, eerily similar. Can he sing? That I don't know. Does he use auto tune? That I do know. If he sings, he probably uses auto-tune. Probably. Uh, because 90% of singers apparently use auto-tune. I've seen even higher than that. Really? Yeah. How about that? 90% admit it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's this thing about auto-tune where um, you deny that you use it even though you're totally aware that everyone uses it. Um, I read an article where uh, apparently this one producer said that he's worked with two artists that have, haven't have used it. Yeah. Everyone else has. And it was Nico Case and Nelly Furtado. And then apparently later after that, Nelly Furtado released a single that had tons of auto-tune on it. Nico Case is, she, remains solid. She may be the only artist in the world who hasn't used auto-tune, either subtly or um, to the nth degree. Oh, well, that's certainly not true. I think there are plenty of uh, indie artists, but if you're talking... You should read this Verge article. It basically lays it out like, no, everyone uses this. Even if... So apparently producers don't even necessarily tell the band that it's being used right then because there's a live function so that the monitors or the headphones that um, the band is hearing is being run through auto-tune. So what they're hearing is already corrected, so they think they just did a perfect take. Yeah, I'm just wary of any time someone says out of 20 million singers, one person doesn't. That's just a very dubious claim. I don't know. We're talking music industry here. (laughs) Um, Especially when a lot of people are making their own music in their own homes. Well, that's another thing, too. And they're not a part of the pop machine. Right. They they don't have stats on that, you know? Yeah. I'm just just saying that sounds like a load of garbage to me. Okay. I'm sure more than one person doesn't use auto-tune. It's just one. <laughs> um, so auto-tune came about, apparently, this is the, the tale, because of uh, a, a dinner that Hildebrand was at. He was having lunch with a sales rep, and the wife said something funny like, hey, Andy, can you, why don't you invent something to make me sing in tune? And he went, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Hildebrand. We should have auto-tuned that. Maybe we could. Maybe we. Maybe it was. Maybe it just happened. Uh, and so he said, you know what? Uh, if I can tell 
Jed Clampett where the oil is, <laughs> then I can make you sing on, in tune. And he did. And he did. He created auto-tune. And um, we've kind of mentioned how it works. I, basically, it takes, a, it takes that take of a, a singer's song. It takes the vocals of yeah. a song. Mm-hmm. And you select what key you're singing in. And then Auto-Tune goes through and makes this map of this of that audio or of that vocal track. And it goes through and says, oh, this one's a little uh, flat. This one's a little low or whatever. Um, and it just nudges these things into tune, into, into the key that it's supposed to be in. So all, all of the notes that the singer hits in that take are within the correct key, meaning that they all sound great. It's a perfect take, right? Well, yeah, and the, the key there is it's in the original tone and inflection of the artist. Right. So, so you can't tell it's happening. No, and there's actually, if you look if you look at the uh, um, uh, auto-tune product demo videos, yeah. it's amazing. So there's, a, there's an, um, an automatic version where, like, it just you select the key and let Auto Tune do its thing, and it does a pretty great job. Yeah. One of the one of the ways that it does this is um, it adds like millisecond pauses in That's between right. notes. There's little spaces between notes, which gives it a natural feel. Yeah. Um, there's other selections that you can make, like throat length. Uh, you can select Gross. how long <laughs> the singer's throat is, uh-huh. uh, and you can do that note by note. Um, so you can make the whole thing even more natural until basically what you've done is taught auto-tune how to simulate a particular singer's singing style and voice so that when it, when it adjusts that note, it does it within the same exact range that the singer would have done had they hit it correctly. It's pretty amazing and advanced stuff. Oh, totally. What... When normal people think of auto-tune like you and me who are not in the music biz, um, we we think of this thing that's called the zero function. Yes, and uh, you know what? Let's take a break, and we will explain what the zero function is right after this. You, you, you know. Stop, stop, stop. You should know. All right, the suspense is killing me. <laughs> You're going to get us killed. All right, zero function. That was um, essentially what the share effect was. Okay. Isn't that right? Yes. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You just sat up in your chair like you were about to arm wrestle. I know, I've been, uh, <laughs> you go ahead. You, you talk about it, buddy. Well, what auto-tune does in, the, in terms of the zero function is, is, it gets rid of all of that space, and when Cher's voice changes, it's immediate. Yeah, all of those notes go right up against each other. Yeah, and it creates this robotic-sounding voice. Yeah, there's no like rise. It's there's it's not like a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, it's not like a v- normal vibrato that you would get. Right, because in a normal vibrato, there's there's pauses. There's space in between the notes. Yeah. There's a, With this, it's note, sure. note, note, all pressed up against each other in yeah. a compressed way. And that zero function um, is what what it takes any spaces out between the notes and creates that robot sound. Yeah, because I think AutoTune had has a range of numbers to make it flow more seamlessly. And when they took it all the way down to zero, which means there's nothing there, yeah. it created that weird effect that they were like, "Ah, Cher, you're 
listen to this. It's weird. Yeah, and, and she, she was, was like, like, I like weird. It's great, baby. <laughs> I hear number one hit in my future. No, you got it wrong. It's, it's great, baby. <laughs> Did was you that ever see? No, that oh. was uh, that was Jack from um, Jack. Will and Grace. Oh, do you remember when he wow. thought he was talking to a, um, a share impersonator? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, "No, uh, if I could turn back time." <laughs> he was, was like teaching show. her how to say it, how uh-huh. to sing it correctly. I thoroughly enjoyed Will and Grace. Oh, it's great show. Good stuff. The great holds up really well. Agreed. All right, where are we? Well, you were talking <laughs> about the share effect, right? Yeah. And that's what it was called. Again, Antares called this zero function the share effect for many years. And um, and over time, remember her producer just kept lying and lying and lying. Yeah. Uh, over time, other producers independently figured out what he had done, that he had used the zero function, which was a really obscure tool on a... Um, a software suite that not everybody knew about, right? Right. So it took some some brain power and some experimentation, but little by little, some producers figured it out. This one producer um, did a remix of a J Lo song and used it, and he, I think, was the second person to use it um, publicly. And uh, it, for a brief time, it became known as the J Lo effect. Oh, of course. Anybody who used this without fessing up to it. At first, in the early 2000s, it was called the whatever effect. Yeah. And there's this uh, producer rapper down in Florida named T-Pain. Oh, boy. And T-Pain he heard loves, this J-Lo effect. He loved it. He went on a mission to figure out what this was. And he finally, apparently it took him years to figure it out. He finally figured out that it was this zero effect on this Pro Tools plugin, um, And he started using it. And just went crazy with it. Like, up to this point, it was used to, like, tweak or it would maybe make um, a track of, of just a little weird over here or something like that. Yeah. He used it as often as he possibly could. Yeah, he basically said the zero function and T-Pain are one and the same. Yeah, and it became known as the T-Pain effect. Really? Yeah. <laughs> because when people asked him how he did it, guess what he said? Vocoder. Did he really? Yes. No. Yes, he did. And for years, he managed to make a mint because the whole thing was in hip-hop or in pop, if you wanted this T-Pain effect, uh-huh. T-Pain needed to consult at least, if not produce your record. That was then, like 10 years after the share effect. How I did know. people not know that? I, I, he, he managed to pull it off for Crazy. years and years and years. Good for T-Pain is what I say. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, he, he apparently was like, um, I guess on a plane ride, Usher was on the same plane and asked to speak to him. And Usher was like, I've got to get something off my chest. You really screwed up music, like, big time. Well, T-Pain was like, I made a bunch of money doing this, and people seem to like it, so I'm not going to stop. Hildebrand has been vilified by many, and he said, you know what? I just make the car. I don't drive it down the wrong side of the road. Yeah. It's a great quote. It is. Because a lot of people hate auto-tune and think it's the worst thing that happened to music. A lot of people like it and say when you use it for what it's supposed to be used for, it can really help out because, you know, it's not like everyone uses it all the time. I'm sure some people need it way more than others. Well, even if you're using it as a light cosmetic touch like Hildebrand originally designed it for, a lot of people say, no, we shouldn't even be doing that. Yeah. Because um, if you go back and listen to things like Bob Dylan or the Beach Boys or um, just a lot of these original artists that didn't use these kind of effects on their voice, um, 
when they sang and their recordings made it through the studio, there were still flat notes here or there. Oh, yeah. But it was their music. It was their voice. It was their vocals in these tracks, and everyone came to know and love them. But now, because everything is auto-tuned perfectly, yeah. even the stuff that you don't, you can't hear, it's auto-tuned because they're not using the zero function. But just the fact that it's been run through the auto-tune, this stuff sounds really rough by comparison. Sure. So a lot of people are like, auto-tune has ruined music. It ruined yeah. music that people love for decades because now, by comparison, it seems rough. Well, but it also, like, a, a good ear can tell if something's auto-tune. It has this weird tinny quality mm-hmm. that um, it doesn't sound natural. So I think it, there will be blowback and a, and a reversion back to older methods. Okay. I bet you Jack White has an auto-tuned. That's the most purest of pure guys. No, he uses all sorts of weird vocal effects on his stuff. No, but as far as like... I bet he has. Ask him. <laughs> he wouldn't admit it. Apparently that's par for the course. Yeah. Um, so, uh, T-Pain, if we can get back to the history of this. Buy you a drink. So, T-Pain, right? Big hit. He's huge. Yeah. Like, he's just... Everything he drops is just blowing up all over the place. He's getting invited to consult and produce on... Um, uh, Kanye's album, yeah, which he, ultimately he had had a every, lot of auto tune. Every track had auto tune on it by the time T Pain got done with it, right? Yeah. Um, Have you heard his Queen uh, Bohemian Rhapsody live? No, huh? Oh, dude, is it good? Oh no! Oh no! It's there's a video that someone spliced of him and uh, he and Freddie Mercury. It's one of the worst things I've ever heard on a on a stage. Oh, I've got to check it out. It's terrible. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to see that. Yeah, it's good. So, um, so the T-Pain effect again. So, yeah, and if you wanted this effect, you had to have T-Pain. Well, Snoop Dogg says, that's enough of that. Oh, finally. And he releases something called Sensual Seduction. Uh-huh. And it's one of the better rap videos you've ever seen. It's pretty good. Yeah. There's a star wipe in it, so you know I love it. <laughs> um, so Snoop releases this using the T-Pain effect to great degree, but he didn't consult with T-Pain. T-Pain had nothing to do with this record, so Snoop kind of opened the floodgates saying, if you guys want to use this, go use it. But what's interesting, if you watch that video, when Snoop is um, doing like the the um, T-Pain effect or the auto-tune stuff, yeah. he's actually got a tube going to a synthesizer to make it look like he's using a vocoder. Oh, interesting. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. Like in his video. Yeah. But anyway, he Are you changed... sure that wasn't a marijuana smoking device? <laughs> it may have been. <laughs> I it may have been now yeah. that I think about it, um, but Snoop changed everything in in that he took T Pain out of the equation and really opened the floodgates for anybody and everybody to sure. use this stuff. Simultaneously, Jay Z was trying to close those floodgates and push all of it back in. Yeah, I think Jay Z um, uh, clearly jumped the shark at a certain point. You know, when major ad brands are making ads mm-hmm. using the latest and greatest, that it's Years late, first of all, right. and that means it has definitely jumped the shark. And in 2009, uh, Wendy's had a, a Frosty Posse commercial where a gang of office workers uh, belted out auto-tuned rhymes yeah. uh, while searching for Frosties. I don't remember that ad, do you? I know, but I went and watched it, of course. Uh, how is it? Pretty great? It's what you think it is. Pretty great? It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> no, it's terrible. And uh, Jay-Z apparently saw this and was 
enraged, and so he wrote a song called DOA, Death of Auto-Tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we're facing a recession, but the music y'all making going to make it the Great Depression. Get back to rap, you T-painting too much. That's calling, that's calling someone out. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. But uh, other auto-tune, um, auto-tune the news was a big YouTube hit. Oh, yeah, man, that, um, the Bed Intruder song? Yeah, let's um let's play a clip from that from 2010. It was a uh, local news footage from Huntsville, Alabama, of uh, Antoine Dodson delivering Who is an warnings. awesome human being. Yeah, about a neighborhood intruder, and someone auto tuned that. Uh, the Gregory Brothers did. That's right. Let's hear that real quick. Have you listened to that recently? No. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, again, that was in 2010, and I think that even kind of had a pretty short shelf life. Right. Unless they're still doing it. I don't know. Well, that was... Uh, What'd you say, the Gregory Brothers, the Brooklyn Soul Band? Yeah, they started out doing auto-tune the news. Yeah. And they would take the news and just auto-tune it and turn it and, like, just produce it, overproduce it. Um, and they did that with the Bed Intruder song. And that actually became the number one video on YouTube of all of 2010. I looked, the original, the original video has 128 million views right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive stuff. At, at the same point, like, now... Auto-tune has become a parody of itself. Yes. It's, it's being used in ads. Sure. Here's the progression. Something starts out. Someone uses it artistically. Yeah. Someone comes along and overuses it. Then everybody starts to overuse it. Then Wendy's makes a commercial using it. <laughs> yeah. Newsweek finally gets around to writing an article about it. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> years after, we record a podcast on it. And then the thing finally dies. Yeah, and then 15 or 20 years after that, it becomes hip again. Yes. You know? That's the progression. So the point that we're at, though, now, Chuck, it's not so cut and dry, man. It's not as cut and dry as Jay-Z would like to have you think. No. Because he came out with this Death of Auto-Tune track in, like, 2009. Auto-Tune is still around. Yeah. Very much. And a lot, now it's getting to the point where if, like, um, The Verge, and uh, I can't remember the other article I read. They're both on this podcast page. If they're to be believed, they're credible sources. And they certainly seem like it from these articles. Yeah. There's a there's this growing question of, um, is Autotune here to stay? Yeah. People are starting to compare it to the initial reaction that people had to the electric guitar. Sure. It was a lot different from the original guitar, and people it took a lot of getting used to it. Or like when Bob Dylan went electric. Yeah. A lot of people didn't like that. Newport. But then look at what happened now with the electric guitar. A lot of people tried different stuff with it. And it became a standard. Some people are wondering if auto-tune is going to fulfill the same destiny. I think most people are hoping that it does not. Yeah, well, I mean, sweetening vocals is nothing new. Like, reverb is a tried-and-true thing for years and sure. embraced. Uh, does that sweeten vocals? I thought that was always used to, like, make it weird. No, it, it's it's sort of like it gives it an echoey, like you're singing in a big empty church hall or something. Mm. But it, it makes – it sweetens it. It doesn't, like, correct anything. But when I say sweetens it, it just makes it sound a little better. I gotcha. Reverb's a, a great tool. Right. The point is it's artificial. Yeah. It's not natural. Yeah. They, it's 
they tried to replicate like singing in a big empty echoey hallway yeah. uh, with an effect and it worked. Right. And another argument in favor of autotune that I've seen is simply taking a human voice and recording it automatically makes it artificial. Like yeah. if they're not there in the room with you singing to you at mm-hmm. that moment, anything else is artificial. True. So what's the problem? So just to let people know, I put out two texts during the episode to musician friends. Jack White? No. <laughs> I texted Lucy Wainwright, uh, our buddy. Yep, she a.k.a. Has, she, Jerry from our TV show. <laughs> she's not answered. Okay. Which means she's used autotune. <laughs> 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 Kidding. And uh, our buddy Joey Ciara from uh, the Henry Clay people, uh-huh. formerly of Henry Clay people, now with Fakers. Uh-huh. And he said, I think there were a few harmonized oohs and ahs on one of our old records where we did some pitch correcting, but that's it. I think. Maybe. So. Definitely. <laughs> he's probably going to be mad that I said that. Thank you for being forthright, Joey. Yeah. Good guy. Sure. Uh, you got anything else about audit? Yeah, just a really quick, um, this is from a great website, uh, 10 artists that are essentially computer programs. <laughs> they just have the most auto-tuned people. Mm-hmm. They have T-Pain, Kesha, Chris Brown, Maroon 5, Black Eyed Peas. Daft Punk, uh, Paris Hilton, who I forgot actually had a song. Uh, the cast of Glee, Katy Perry, and number one was Owl City, who I don't even know what that is. There's a huge outcry apparently among Glee fans for Glee to stop using so much auto tune. I think the deal is they're like, well, these are actors. So yeah. Like, uh, you well, know. Yeah. And there's another. There's a big scandal with uh, UK's Got Talent or something weird like that. Yeah. Um, where they were using a lot of auto-tune for the auditions. Oh. It's like, come, come on. Come on. Jeez, good Lord. Well, oh, anyway. man. That's not a very surprising list. So this has been Grumpy Old Men. I don't feel like we've been <laughs> grumpy. We haven't, like, condemned it outright. No. Nico Case. She's my lady. She condemns it outright. Yeah. Emily and I have an agreement about Nico Case. That, uh, that we could both marry her. Okay. <laughs> if she was ever available to us. She's right behind you. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so we have a very – well, no, finish up your uh, deal. Sorry. I just oh, jumped the gun. Okay, thank you. Uh, you don't have anything else about auto-tune? No, I was just teasing. We have a special listener mail with guests. Well, hold on. Let me finish first. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, since Chuck doesn't have anything, it's the end. And if you want to know more about auto-tune, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, this article, I have to say, by the way, was the most definitive article about autotune on the Internet. How about that? It's a good one. Uh, So you can go look that up. And since I said definitive, it's time for listener mail. And it's a special one, like Chuck says. That's right. Uh, Today we um, got a joint listener mail to uh, ourselves and to Holly and Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Yep, so we're going to bring them in, right? Yeah, we're going to read the uh, email and we're going to talk about its implications uh, right now. Let's start now. So without further ado, we actually have Holly and Tracy of Stuff You Missed in History Class with us. Yay! Hi! And uh, Tracy, we have actually not with us. She's with us in spirit and voice from Boston. I know it's pretty. It's pretty interesting when it <laughs> comes in through your headphones, but the other person's somewhere else. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, and this is how you guys do the show now, right? Yes, we also have like a an online. You know, we have a Google Hangout where we both are, so oh. we can see each other as well. Well, that's neat. We should have done that. 
had Tracy in here with her little uh, video image. Or, or, or like a um, hologram of her. That'd be pretty cool, too. <laughs> That's true. All right, so I think the first thing I you should could, do is— You could have a picture of me like our old boss. Oh, well, I do have a picture of you. In my, I have the wallet size that you gave out, so I'll just look at that. Um, I think the first thing we should do is just read. I'll read the email here, and then we will discuss like adults. How about that? What? Uh, so like I said, I already set it up that we both got an email from a listener, and she says uh, the following, and this is from uh, Amanda Lyons. Uh, hey, guys and gals. Uh, she didn't say that, of course. I just did. <laughs> well, you should read it verbatim. Okay. Josh, Chuckers, Holly, and Tracy, and of course, a hello to Jerry and Noel. Yeah. Uh, I'm a social worker from Portland, Oregon, with a passion for human equity and respect, one of the original members of the SYSK Army, mm. and a more recent listener uh, to Mist in History. Yeah. Uh, I binged for about five months before I got all caught up, so how about that? Uh, I'm concerned about something I've heard a few times on the History Podcast, and I was wondering if you guys would be willing to get together, we are, and look into something to fulfill my curiosity. Uh, when Josh and Chuck receive corrections, they thank people for being nice and frequently ask people not to be jerks when correcting them. When Holly and Tracy talk about corrections they receive, they ask people to be nice and have referred to corrections on several occasions as hate mail. Uh, my concern is that listeners may be more disrespectful to Holly and Tracy because they are women and even if listeners are rude to Josh and Chuck, they may rein it in when making corrections because they are men. Could be completely off base, but if I'm right, I feel like the discrepancy should be addressed on the podcast to raise awareness about how people treat men and women differently and even to address people's tendency to feel protected by the anonymity of the Internet and say things online they wouldn't say to someone's face. And uh, so, Manda, we did talk about it via email, and now we're going to talk about it like regular human folks. And Tracy really has the wealth of information because of her job and what, you know, she's been responsible for in the past. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That sounds serious. Yeah. Uh, I was part of the management team of the website for several years before I started actually being on a podcast. And for a a chunk of that time, most of the podcasters reported to me. So even though I wasn't managing the podcast program, I was sort of keeping tabs on the iTunes reviews for everybody. And there was a definite, definite trend in that the podcasts that had women on them got disproportionately more vicious comments about what their voices sounded like versus the podcast with men on them, which got less of that. So this is news to me, misogyny on the internet. I, had not, <laughs> I wasn't aware that that was a thing. He's had the most beautiful blind spot of all time. <laughs> no, I, I I can imagine, and I know Tracy, you've like pointed some of these out before. Um, for us, it's it's like yeah, we'll get hate mail every once in a while, um, but it's kind of easy to dismiss because it, even if it is directed at us, it's not necessarily directed at our gender or whatever. It's, it's not personal, usually. or even if it is personal, it, it's it's dumb. It's just. It's just dumb stuff. It, it's easy to not take personally, even when it's meant to be personal. Sure. But um, that's me speaking as like a white male age 18 to 49, you know? Yeah. So I, I can imagine that like when someone attacks you just just based on your gender or even worse, if they're coming after you and they don't even realize that they're being driven by this um, this disdain for your gender, that has to make it a lot harder to just dis- dismiss. Uh, yeah, well, 
Yeah, Holly, you can go. I was going to say, for me, I mean, I, I am lucky in that I really give very few dams about what most people think. Like, unless you're sitting in my lap or paying my paycheck, like, it's great if you like me, but if you don't, that's cool, too. Like, everybody do your thing. But eventually, like, the landslide builds up, and it, it's sure. not it's not so much that I'm, like, heartbroken or traumatized, but it just wears you down after a while where you're yeah. like, why am I doing this Absolutely. just to get more of this crap? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we definitely have like we have been called slurs based on our gender before. Oh, for we sure. We have been called the c word over the podcast. Are you serious? Right. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and then the <laughs> I told you about that when we were discussing the email in our email conversation. I told you about the person who wrote to us and said they didn't understand how I could be in the same room with Holly without strangling her. Like that's the kind of stuff that people will write to us and be really awful. But we do get a whole lot of them that I don't think people are consciously being misogynistic, but they're talking to us and about us in a very gendered way. So people tell us that we sound shrill or that we sound bossy, and those aren't <laughs> words that people would use to describe men most of the time. Well, no, because men are and assertive. Most of they're the, not bossy. Right. <laughs> they're <laughs> you know? correct. And yeah. strong. <laughs> um, and all of the articles that had come out lately about... Uh, especially vocal fry and other things that people criticize about women's voices that they don't generally criticize about men's voices. Yeah. Every single time I read it and I'm like, I could have written that about my job and my experience being a woman talking on the internet. So which one, um, which one hits home the, the most, like one that's a, just a direct personal attack or the ones that, or the person's just being unconsciously misogynistic, which to me would seem more entrenched. Yeah, to me, the second one is worse. And it's especially worse because a lot of the implicitly gendered criticism that we get is also from women. Oh, yeah. And that I was going to the hardest that. part. Yeah. That's the hardest part for me to deal with. Yeah. When they're real specific, for example, like the person who wants me to be strangled, um, at the end of the day, I'm like, he's working through his own stuff. Like, yeah. I, I have really have very little to do with this. I may have been the trigger that, you know, caused this little outrage bomb, but really it has very little to do with me. That I think almost 100% of the time that is the case. The, these are people who have their own gripes in life and are probably angry, unhappy people. Yes, but then, as Tracy said, when you get those ones that are like, they, they're not even conscious of how it's playing out, Yeah, you realize how much it is a bigger sort of systemic social problem. Yeah. Because most of those people are not evil. They don't intend to be misogynistic. They're not conscious that they're separating the two genders and judging them differently uh -huh. on different criteria. So, yeah, those are, as Tracy said, a little more disturbing because you realize that it's kind of like the silent creep that underlays everything. Yep, absolutely. Well, we do get a lot of emails that are great from people who are great. And the majority of the email that we get is great. So, we like, I don't want to make it sound like every person who writes to us is awful. Um, and we talk about corrections on the episode a lot of times from people who write at the end and everything is fine and everything's very respectful. So to me, a correction is you said this person died in 1918, but really it was 1927. That's a correction and that's fine. But then we'll also get ones that are like, I can't believe you didn't even bother to look this up. You completely butchered it. I don't know why you don't even put more thought into what you're doing because it's really important that you represent yourselves well. And that's where I'm like, that's hate mail. <laughs> well, we get, yeah, we get those. Too. Yeah, we get a lot of those, but I never feel like those are like uh, 
have anything to do with my gender yeah, no, in, that, in those cases. Absolutely. I mean, we get those same exact emails where it's just like, you you guys are total idiots. Like, how, how could you drop the ball this badly? And it's like, we basically said exactly what you're saying. We just said it slightly differently. Yeah. It definitely doesn't warrant this kind of reaction, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, my, I, I, why do you think there is a, a, a gender bias or a gender a dis, a, why is it worse for you guys being women, do you think? Not just in, in comments. Aside from the history of the world. But, I know, like, how, how long do you have for this thing? But I mean, like, even, even beyond comments, like, why is the Internet so geared toward hating women? I mean, what's, what's the deal with that? Do you guys, is there, is there a general understanding or idea behind it? Lonely, angry men is my guess. Well, I think it's it's super complex, right? There's no one simple answer. Like some of it is that we have reached an age where the disparity in terms of uh, gender equality has shrunk at the same time that a lot of people have this outlet readily available to them. So there's progress being made, but there are also the people who are still kicking and screaming as they get dragged into a future they're not comfortable with. Oh, yeah. But then there's also just a thing that, again, I don't think people are even conscious of it, where it is new for many people. And even people that are younger and have maybe grown up in a more kind of old school, traditional environment, be it household or community, where they're not even conscious of why they're more upset at women. There's just something about women you know, sharing knowledge or being assertive or being confident that just rankles them. And yeah. they, they don't even register that it's because it's a woman. Mm-hmm. They just know there's something about that person I hate. Right. And it's something they're just not used to. And they haven't kind of made the the mental <laughs> customization to, oh, sometimes people that aren't dudes have stuff to say as well. Right. Do you think that same experience is extrapolatable under race? As well as gender and, and oh, yeah, very sure. much the same yeah. way. Well, I mean, I know it is, but I mean, yeah. is, it, is it almost like a, a step for step, do you think? I think it's probably uh, pretty I, similar <laughs> models. Yeah. Yeah, well, speaking like as the as, as a white person in a room of white people who are on the phone right now, the, the worst days I have ever had managing our Facebook page are days when we talk about something that has to do with systemic racism. And we'll we'll get a flood of similarly implicitly racist comments from people who really don't know that the view that they just put out there is racist. Like, that's sort of the same thing. Like, a lot of people do things that are misogynist, not really consciously being misogynist. That just, it comes out and they're not consciously aware of it. And it's we see the same thing on our Facebook posts uh, in subjects that are related to race really pretty often. So at the end of the day, when you guys get a bunch of these, say, on a, just a particularly bad day, what, what, what do you do? I mean, is, do you battle this? Do you just brush it off and be like, these guys are idiots, and whether they like it or not, they are going to be dragged into the future against their will? Uh, you know, do you do a combination of both? Or do you look at your status as a perennial top 20 podcast and say <laughs> they clearly— <laughs> Who cares what they say because we're really good at what we do uh, because we're very successful. I do a combination of things. Uh, I I have kind of a library of links about Vocal Fry and whenever anyone writes directly to us to complain about Vocal Fry, I kind of send them, (laughs) hey, why don't you listen to this, uh, this American Life segment? 
all about vocal fry. Yeah, that was In a good which one. Ira Glass has vocal fry the entire segment, but nobody complains at him about it. Um, so I'll like I specifically will address that. I will specifically address things that people say on our Facebook page in public because I feel like our role as a podcast about history does not include allowing people free reign to be racist in public and and have that not be challenged. Um, but when it comes to the like the email that Holly and I got that was that was so bad pretty recently that was the person who who was basically advocating me murdering Holly. Um, I was actually traveling. I went down to the hotel bar and had a drink. There you go. <laughs> and read a book <laughs> and tried to chill. Yeah, I tried to chill out about it. There's the answer. Um, <laughs> Booze. Co- yeah. Cocktail fixes everything. <laughs> well, um, thank you both for addressing this. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry we didn't solve this problem here in this, <laughs> this listener mail segment. Um, thank you for having us on the show. Of yeah. course. Um, if anyone out there in Stuff You Should Know Land has not checked out Stuff You Missed in History class, you definitely should because it is super awesome and as are both of you. And I don't want to strangle you, but I want to hug your necks. You do? Oh. That's what in they a, say in the South. In a don't. Lenny sort of way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Well, you cut a rabbit. <laughs> and now she don't move no more. <laughs> nope, but uh, thanks for coming in and uh, we should do this more often, you know? We should. We should have a whole show where we just get together and do roundtable stuff. We can have yappy powwow party time. <laughs> that would be That's fun. What we'll call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, if you have something to say about all this, um, we're sure you will. We want to hear from you. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can tweet to Stuff You Missed in History class at... At Missed in History. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can join Stuff You Missed in History class at... Missed in History. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Missed in History. We make it easy. And what about email? How do they get in touch with you? History Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And you can hit us up at StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And at all, as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com and MissedInHistory.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you.